Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. And I have a confession to make this morning. Um, I got my new um, pulpit Bible, and it's extra super large print. And um, it's getting harder and harder to see the scriptures. And I don't want to put my reading glasses on and keep taking them on and off. So I feel like Charles Spurgeon. I got my big preaching Bible here. It's heavy. So, but I can see. So that's the one thing I'm thankful for is I've got this, this, big, this big new Bible. Um, so Luke chapter 18 is where I want you to turn this morning. Luke chapter 18. You know, I'm the most impatient person on the planet, and my wife can attest to that. I've been an impatient guy ever since I was a young boy. When I was about five years old, now I don't remember the story, but my mother tells it to me often. When I was five years old, I was a very impatient little boy at the grocery store. And some of you younger people may not even know what I'm talking about, but back in the day, they had these things called gumball machines. Everybody know what a gumball machine was? You go, you put the money in the thing and you turn the thing and the gumball comes out. Well, I wanted my mama to go get me some gumballs. Well, she was over there doing other things and so I got impatient. So guess what I did? I stuck my hand up into the gumball machine to try to grab the gumball to come out. Well, my hand got stuck. So my hand, my hand got stuck in the gumball machine. Well, my mom comes over and she panics. She freaks out. And, and, I, and I guess this is what I said to my mom, okay, a little five-year-old boy. I said, Mama, let's just pray about it and see if Jesus gets my hand out. And so I sat there and I prayed, and then my hand came out. And so my mom said, that's a precious moment when you were a little boy that you learned the lesson of patience and prayer at the same time. Well, this impatience also landed me in trouble as a middle schooler. I was an annoying, pesky middle schooler. Uh, we would take these long family trips, those road trips, you know, you take as a family. And there was a joke in our family because um, I would always pester my dad and say, Dad, are we almost there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And my dad would say this, it's just around the next corner, 15 miles down the road. Are we there yet? It's just around the next corner. Are we there yet? It's just around the next corner. So it was kind of a pesky way for me to pester my dad and say, Dad, are we there yet? And it was my dad's comic way of saying, Sean, hold your horses. We'll get there when we get there. We're not there yet. It's just around the next corner. So anytime we're driving or with my family and I say, are we there yet? It's just around the next corner. So how do you handle it when you ask your heavenly father, for an answer to prayer, and God says, it's just around the next corner. Or it's God's way of saying, hold your horses, you'll have to wait. Is it ever okay to pester God with prayer requests? Can we somehow bother God or wear him down by coming back to him over and over again with the same request. It seems kind of bold. It seems kind of brash to pray this way. Are we even allowed to pester God? 
Well, in our passage today, we see the parable of the persistent widow, and Jesus addresses this issue of prayer, persistence, patience. And so let's read together the parable of the persistent widow. And I'm glad I'm able to see what I'm reading. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him, saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes... Will he find faith on earth? Now, I want you to remember the context of where we've been. This material is not accidental. It it follows where we were last week. What did Jesus tell us last week? Back in chapter 17, he talked about the second coming, being ready for the second coming. And so it's no surprise that this issue on prayer comes right after the second coming because here's the thing. As we await for the return of Christ, there are times in our Christian life where we see the world around us, we see the sin, we see all of the problems, and we get weary. We get tired. We get frustrated, we get discouraged, and we say to ourselves, Lord, when are you going to come back? And we can just get depressed and discouraged. And Jesus knew that would happen. And he knew that that would somehow affect our praying when we wait the return of Christ, and we see that he hasn't come back sooner than we would expect. And so Jesus, right from the shoot here in chapter 18, verse 1, tells us the purpose of the prayer, tells us the purpose of the parable. He basically just tells us right up front. He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray, number one, and number two, not lose heart. Always to pray. To pray regularly. Now this does not mean that we're supposed to be like always praying, always praying, and that's all we do is we we just kind of rotely, routinely pray. It's having an attitude of prayer, having this lifestyle of prayer, having a habit of daily prayer, having this mindset of always going to the Lord with an attitude of prayer. J.C. Ryle said this, prayer is the very life breath of true Christianity. Here it is that faith begins. Here it flourishes. Prayer is the life breath. It's our very life, like breathing, prayer. So number one, Jesus says pray regularly. Pray often. Have an attitude of ongoing prayer. But secondly, he says that we should not lose heart. Lose our motivation to pray. Get discouraged. Give up. Want to become weary. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands because I know probably a lot of them would go up. But how often in our Christian lives do we get weary? We get tired. We want to just give up. We get discouraged. 
That happens to us a lot. And so Jesus tells us a parable here so that we would learn to pray constantly, pray continually, and not become weary, not give up. So there are two characters in the parable, and there are two opposing characters, contrasting characters. The first one we see is this unjust judge. Verse 2, he said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. Neither feared God or respected man. In other words, he's basically a practical atheist. He doesn't care about God. He doesn't care about man. He doesn't care about his reputation. We, we can read between the lines. He probably likes to take bribes. He, he's just basically a cold-hearted judge that doesn't really care about God, doesn't care about other people. He has no compassion. He's a utilitarian judge that just does what he wants to do. He's an unjust judge. And the second character in the parable is this unnamed widow. Verse 3, there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. A persnickety, stubborn, persistent widow. Now, the interesting thing, when you read this in your English translations, you don't get the full effect of what it is in the original text, in the original Greek language. So let me help you out a little bit this morning by showing you some of these insights. When you look there at verse 3, there was a widow in that city who kept coming. She kept coming. It's a tense in the original language that meant that she kept coming over and over and over again. She just kept coming. She kept pestering him over and over. She would not give up coming. And she's demanding justice. Give me justice against my adversary. Now, we don't know exactly what happened to this widow. We don't know how she was wrong, wronged. We don't know how she was defrauded. But she wants justice in the courts. And so she goes to the judge and says, Judge, you need to do the right thing. I am a widow. I have been defrauded. I've been treated unjustly. I need justice. Now here's the issue. Widows in that day had very little help. Very little social status. Very, very little economic status. She probably could not afford to bribe the judge. If she would have bribed him, I'm sure he probably would have been a little bit more accommodating. But the Bible is very clear about how God thinks about widows and how we should treat widows. I could give you a bunch of verses on widows, but let me just give you one. Exodus 22, 22-23. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child, if you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry. God's law, going all the way back to the Old Testament, and even to this time where Jesus is addressing it, don't mistreat widows. Widows are to be taken care of. Widows are to be loved and encouraged. But this unjust judge is not. Now, she kept coming to him over and over again. But I want to show you a little insight here. Verse 4, for a while he refused. That's the same Greek tense that was used for her coming. In other words, he kept refusing. He kept refusing. He kept refusing. So it's like this battle. She kept coming. He kept refusing. She kept coming. He kept refusing. Now he's a pragmatic man. So he realizes that if I don't do something, this pesky woman's going to wear me down. She's, gonna, she's, gonna, she's not going to give up pleading her case. So notice what it says there. Verse 4, for a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, 
She keeps bothering me, distressing me, troubling me. I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Beat me down. Now, that's a very interesting word choice that Jesus uses in the original language. In the original language for beat down, it means to give somebody a black eye by boxing them. Now, this lady's not literally beating the judge in his face, but metaphorically, symbolically, uppercut, left hook, she keeps coming to him, and she keeps beating him down, beating him down with her persistence. And Jesus uses this interesting word image of, of like a boxer getting a black eye. So the purpose of this parable is very, very clear to see. Keep on praying. Be persistent in your praying. Pray constantly. Pray continually. Pray fervently. Isaiah 62, 6-7. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen. All the day and all the night they shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance take no rest and give Him no rest until He establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. The imagery here is that God told Israel to put watchmen on the walls to watch and to see what was going on. But these watchmen were not to give God any rest. They were to cry out to God. And so the imagery here is that we're to be always going to God, crying out to God, going to Him with our prayers, like these watchmen on the wall. Romans 12, 12. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Constant in prayer. Paul uses a word there, be constant in prayer, that means to exert a lot of energy even when things are going tough, to overcome obstacles, to be persistent, to be devoted to prayer, to be constant in prayer, even when you don't feel like it, to keep pressing through. Colossians 4.2, continue steadfastly. Same Greek word that Paul used earlier, be constant. Continue steadfastly in prayer being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And then 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Pray constantly. Pray without ceasing. Be constant in prayer. Struggle in prayer. Be persistent in prayer. You know, John Calvin has written probably the greatest theological work there is uh, called The Institutes of the Christian Religion, and a lot of people equate John Calvin with a lot of different theologies, predestination and other things like that, which obviously he addresses. But do you know the longest chapter in that big, thick book is on prayer? The longest chapter in John Calvin's Institutes is on prayer. And he says this about prayer. He says, It is very much for our interest to be constantly praying to God so that our heart may be inflamed with a serious and passionate desire of seeking, loving, and serving Him so that we get used to Him being a sacred anchor in all of our times of need. God is a sacred anchor to us in times of need. And when we constantly pray to Him, we're pouring our hearts out. We're passionately desiring God to hear us. So the parable at face value is that we should constantly be praying. Never give up. Be persistent in our prayers. But then in verses 6-8, through eight, Jesus elaborates on the parable. 
And he gives this argument from lesser to greater. Okay? Notice what he says there in verse 6. Hear what the unrighteous judge says. Okay, this is an unrighteous judge. Hear what the unrighteous judge says. What did the unrighteous judge do? I will listen to her pleads. I will listen to her requests. I'll give her justice. I don't care about her. I don't care about God. But because she's pesky, I'm going to give her justice. Hear what the unrighteous judge says. Now look at verse 7. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? If the unjust judge granted the request and showed justice, and he's unjust, a human unjust judge, Jesus is saying how much more is God who's not unjust God who is just, God who's loving, how much more will he give you justice? How much more will he answer his children? You see, there's not a close relationship between the unjust judge and the widow. They're strangers. There's no personal relationship there at all. It's a judge to a widow. But notice what Jesus says. Verse 7, Will not God give justice to his elect, to his children? To those whom he loves. God has loved us as his elect children before the foundations of the world. Jeremiah 31.3 I've loved you. This is God speaking. I've loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I've continued my faithfulness to you. God has chosen us as his people in love and we should never think that somehow we're bothering God when we pray to Him. Or somehow we're bugging God when we pray to Him. We should never think that if we're persistent like this widow, we're, God's like the unjust judge that's just kind of giving us an answer because He wants us off, our, off His back. No, God loves us because we are one of His elect children. Ephesians 1.11, In Him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. God has chosen us, and God is working all things out according to the counsel of His will, and because of that, He loves to answer our prayers. Now, what's evidence that you are a child of God? Jesus uses the word here, elect, a chosen child of God. What's one of the evidences that you're truly saved? You're, you're a praying Christian. You pray. There's no such thing as a Christian that does not pray. Again, J.C. Ryle said this, God's people are a praying people. One thing's very clear, a prayerless person must never be called one of God's elect. Let that never be forgotten. A prayerless person. It's like breathing for the Christian. We're praying. Now notice what Jesus says there in verse 7. Will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? The word that Jesus uses there is a really strong word for cry out. It literally can mean to scream or to yell with fervency. It's like this visceral yelling out to God. You're yelling out in desperation. You're at your wit's end. It's almost like this, this persistent widow that's at her wit's end and she's, she's probably yelling at the judge. 
that you come to God and you cry out, you pour your heart out to him day and night. It's like what the psalmist says in Psalm 55, 16 through 17. But I called to God and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon I utter my complaint and moan and he hears my voice. God loves to answer the prayers of his children. And then there's a question at the end of verse 7. Will he delay long over them? Will he delay long? God may delay in answering your prayer, but it won't be, quote-unquote, long. Because what does it say in verse 8? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Now, speedily is an interesting word in the original language. It does not necessarily mean God's going to answer your request right away or God's going to give you the request you want in the timing you want. What that word really means, it could really be translated most certainly or most assuredly. In other words, yes, God is going to answer. You don't have to doubt that God's going to answer your prayer. He's going to most surely answer. Now, we need to be careful here that we don't misunderstand this parable. Or make it say something that it doesn't say. God is absolutely sovereign and he will do whatever he's ordained to do. Nothing can thwart his will. Isaiah 14, 27, for the Lord of hosts has purposed and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out and who will turn it back? Rhetorical questions, nobody. Nobody's going to stop God's plan. If God has a plan, he's going to accomplish it. Nothing you do can stop or thwart or change God's plan. And then Daniel 4.35, All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. He does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? We need to be very careful here. Yes, God wants us to be persistent in our prayers. God wants us to come to him with our prayers, but we need to understand that we don't somehow manipulate God in our persistence. We don't twist God's arm or change God's mind or or try to get God to do something that his sovereign plan is not going to accomplish. So yes, we come persistently. Yes, we come constantly, but we don't somehow change God. But let's ask a very difficult question, and this is probably the question that a lot of you have struggled with in your lives. Here's the question. Why does God sometimes delay in giving you an answer? Why do you have to wait at times when you cry out and you cry out and you cry out? I mean, if God's absolutely sovereign and God can do all things and God can miraculously defy our imaginations by answering our prayer requests in a blink of an eye, why does... Why does he tell us to pray with persistence? Why does God make us wait? Why does God say, hold your horses, Sean? You're going to have to wait. But God, I want the answer right now because I'm impatient. You're going to have to wait. But God, I want it now. Why does God not give you the answer now? Why do you have to wait? Psalm 69.3. The psalmist says, I'm weary with my crying out, my throat is parched, my eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. You hear the heartbeat of the psalmist? I've been praying, I've been praying, I've been praying so much that my, my throat's parched. 
I've gone hoarse because I've cried out to God. And my eyes have grown dim. And I've stayed up in the middle of the night. I'm crying out to God over and over again. And I'm weary waiting for an answer. When's God going to answer me? He seems to be silent. Why is he not answering? Habakkuk 1, 2. Oh, Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? How long do I have to keep praying? How long do I have to keep being persistent and constant and praying and praying for God to answer? And what happens if you keep praying and you keep praying and you keep praying and there's, there's no answer immediately? What do you do? Something we all struggle with. So let me suggest for you this morning four reasons why God makes us wait. Now, we don't like to wait. Like I said at the very beginning, I'm impatient. None of us likes to wait. But why does God make us wait and doesn't automatically, immediately answer our prayers. Why is he doing this? Now, there's probably more than four, but just for this morning, for the sake of time, let's explore these four reasons. First, to deepen our dependence on Christ. To deepen our dependence. That's why God makes us wait. Now, we must not forget that Jesus is the source of all good. And we're not getting God to do something that he doesn't want to do. God loves to answer our prayers. So your persistence is not twisting God's arm. God is the source of all good. So if God is making you wait, he's doing it because it's good, and he's just, and he's doing the right thing. Abraham said this of God in Genesis 18.25, Shall not the judge of all the earth do what's just? We can never say that God's unjust in making us wait. He's deepening our dependence upon Christ by making us wait. We persist in prayer to show that we are totally dependent upon God who's good. That's what prayer is. Prayer is basically coming to God and saying, I am totally dependent upon you and your goodness and your justice. I mean, Jesus says in Matthew 7, 11, if you then who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who's in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? God will give you good things, but He may want you to wait for those good things so that it will deepen your dependence upon Him, so that you will learn to trust God more deeply. That's what Jesus did when He died on the cross. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 2.23. When he was reviled, speaking of Jesus, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus, God in the flesh, fully God, fully man, while on earth, continually entrusted himself to the Father. So when God does not answer our prayers we should be continually entrusting ourselves to the one who does right. Because dependence upon God, the opposite of that is dependence upon us. What does Jeremiah say about those that depend upon human flesh, upon human will? Jeremiah 17, 5-9, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man. And makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. Cursed is the one who puts his trust in other people, even yourself. And there's this imagery. He's like a shrub in the desert. 
He shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in parched places in the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. So this is the person that trusts in themselves. You're almost like a shriveled up plant out in the middle of the desert. But then Jeremiah contrasts and says, blessed. Okay, if you're trusting in yourself, it's a curse. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. And what's the imagery here? He's like a tree planted by water. Sends out its roots by the stream, does not fear when the heat comes, for its leaves remain green, and it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. If you trust in the Lord, you will grow, you will be fruitful. But then there's that reminder at the very end. The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately sick. Who can understand it? What's our heart? Remember we sang it earlier? My heart is prone to wander. Our heart is prone to trust in ourselves. And God may be making you wait so that you will not trust in yourself, but deepen your dependence upon Him. So that's one of the reasons why God may make you wait. He wants you to trust in Him, depend upon Him, not to rely upon yourself. Okay, what's the second reason that God may make you wait? Well, second, to teach us patience instead of instant gratification. Do we not live in a world of instant gratification? Like, we get mad, we get mad when um, we have to watch commercials in real time. Like, on your DVR, you record something, you can fast forward the commercials, like, children, I'm sorry, but back when I was growing up, back in the old days, you know, you had to get up and sometimes you had to, like, turn the knob on the TV before you got cable. And even then, you still had to, like, you couldn't, like, just pause live TV. We, get, we, we, we want instant gratification, persistence in prayer, prayer and, and I'm not a farmer, but I know a lot of you are farmers and ranchers, but one of the things I do know about farming and ranchers is sometimes you have to wait for the harvest. You plant, you water, but then there's a lot of waiting. And James 5 says this, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rain. God's teaching you patience. God's teaching you to wait. God may have a harvest coming in his answer that's better than anything you've ever imagined, but he's making you wait. You know, there was a study done a few years ago about Powerball winners of the lottery, uh, these, these winners that make millions of dollars. And so back in 2011, um, three universities did a major study um, of these, uh, Florida, the lottery in Florida. And they, they, they wanted to understand if people that won the lottery, if it helped improve their, their finances. And what they found was that out of 35,000 winners in the Florida lottery over a nine-year period, seven in ten lottery winners filed bankruptcy only after a few years. They squandered their earnings, seven out of ten. And here's what they also found. There's two ways you could have gotten your money. You can get it in one big lump sum, or you can get it in monthly installments. And guess what happened? The people that got the one lump sum, they're the ones that squandered their money, filed for bankruptcy, versus the one that got it in installments. What's the point? Sometimes God does not give you everything in one big lump sum, because he may think that you're going to squander it. 
He makes you wait. He may make you give, get it in monthly installments or, or in smaller increments because he knows your human nature is to squander the gifts that he gives you. J.I. Packer wrote this, to keep asking with patient persistence and to wait with expectation for the answer is always the reverent way to go. He says this, this strengthens the muscles of our faith as constant walking strengthens the muscles of our hearts and our legs. Wait, do you ever think about that? Waiting strengthens the muscles of your faith. Like when you walk and you work out, you're strengthening your muscles and your real body. Packer says when you're waiting, it's strengthening the muscles of your faith. All right, third. What's the third reason why God may make you wait? To reorient our will to God's will. Sometimes God makes us wait because we're not asking with the right motives. We're not asking the right things. James 4.3, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Why are you asking for these things? Maybe you're asking God for the wrong things with the wrong motives. You're, you're praying for your will to be done and not God's will to be done? What's the Lord's Prayer? Matthew 6, 9 through 10. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. To reorient our will with God's will. What did Jesus pray when he was in the garden? We'll eventually get to this. But Luke 22, 41 through 42, he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. God may be making you wait because you're praying for your will and not his will. And he's reorienting your will to match up to his will. 1 John 5, 14-15. This is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we've asked of Him. It's according to His will. So, the reason that God makes us wait sometimes is to deepen our dependence, to teach us patience, to reorient our will to His will. But fourth, and this is what we prayed about earlier in our time of prayer, fourth, He's doing this to conform us to be more like Christ. He's making you wait so that you'll be more like Jesus. Romans 8, 28-29. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. It is God's sovereign, eternal plan for each one of you who are believers in Jesus to look more and more like Jesus. Now, how does God do this? Is it instantaneous overnight, or is it a process? It is a process. It is a slow, sometimes painful process that God takes you through to get you to look more and more like Jesus. And one of the ways he's doing that, he's making you wait. 
and not answering your prayer so that you will be more like Jesus. So those are some reasons why God may not answer your prayer right away. Now let's look at verse 8. How do you handle the end of verse 8? Because it seems like it just jumps out there. It's like, where, where in the world does this come from? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Okay, now back to the second coming. Talked about prayer, talked about prayer, and all of a sudden, when Jesus comes back, is he going to find faith on the earth? What is this all about? What does this mean? Well, some pastors use this verse to make you feel real guilty. When Jesus comes back, you better be praying, because if Jesus comes back and you're not praying, you may not make it to heaven. Or you better have a certain amount of quiet times, or you better be praying hard, or you better make sure that you're faithful when Jesus comes back, because if you're not, you may not quite make it to heaven. You better get your act together and muster up some faith. That's not good news. That's actually a guilt trip to make you feel more guilty about not praying than you already do. I would feel really guilty if I, I would feel really bad if I said to you, you better be praying hard when Jesus comes back, because if you're not, you may not make it to heaven. Well, that's salvation by prayer, not salvation by grace. It's interesting what the original language says here. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find the faith on earth? The faith. There's a definite article in the original language here. It's not necessarily talking about your faithfulness in prayer, but he's talking about the faith. Will you be believing the faith, the truth of the gospel? Jude 3, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Now, I want you to think about this widow for a moment. She's weak. She didn't have any lawyer. She had no one to help her in the court of law. She had to defend herself. She had to go in there, and she had to go before the judge. She had to be vulnerable. She had to keep going back time and time again. She was the persistent widow, and she finally beat the judge down because basically he had to relent in the end. She was left alone. She had no one to advocate for her. Now think about us as believers. We're never alone before the throne of our great God. We have an advocate. We have a lawyer. Now, we are weak, and we are frail, and sometimes we want to give up, but Jesus Christ, the righteous, comes to our defense, and he's our advocate. It says in 1 John 2, 1 through 2, My little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We have an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. See, our faith may be weak at times. Maybe all the time. <laughs> we may be weary. We may want to give up. We may be real lackluster in our praying. And when Jesus comes back, if, he, if it was based upon the strength of our faith and the strength of our praying and the strength of how busy we've been doing for the kingdom and how many hours we've been, spraying, been uh, spent praying, if, if that's what this is talking about, then I don't think there's any hope for any of us going to heaven. 
Because if, if, it's, if it's based upon our intensity of prayer, if it's based upon our intensity of how much we're praying, and Jesus comes back, there's no hope for any of us. So this is not the good news of the gospel, that Jesus comes back and he'll let us into heaven based upon how persistent we're praying or how much you know, busy we are. The real question here that he's talking about is this. Do you just have faith? Do you believe? Are you trusting in Jesus Christ? Let me just say this. Sometimes your faith in Jesus may be you're just barely hanging on. But the strength is not in your barely hanging on. The strength is who you're hanging on to. Jesus, the righteous. Is Jesus your source of strength? Is he your very life? Is he your Savior and Lord? Yes, we don't pray as often as we should, but are you trusting in Jesus? Are you clinging to Jesus? Have you received Jesus? John 1.12, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Are you a child of God because you've received Jesus? See, when you're weak, pray for strength. When you're afraid, pray for protection. When you're stressed, pray for peace. When you're tempted, pray for a way out. When you're suffering, pray for patience. You see, here's the beauty of the gospel. Your prayers don't have to be eloquent to be effective. Dear Heavenly Father, please cometh to my aid in this hour of need. And whatever thou doest, do it quickly. Anybody pray King James? No. I don't even pray King James. Sometimes your prayer is a visceral cry from the bottom of your heart where you just scream out, Lord, help me. And you really don't know how to pray. But here's the beauty. God loves to answer prayer. And why? Because you're his child. He is your source of strength and joy. You see, when we're praying, we need to remember two things. God does everything for your good and for His glory. Everything for your good and for His glory. Now, that may not look like what you want it to look like. You may be thinking, God, that doesn't sound good. God is most interested in His glory and your good. And He defines the terms of what that looks like. So when you're praying to God... He's doing everything. He's delaying. He's answering. He's working for your good and for His glory. That's God's ultimate goal in your life. He's continuing to conform you to the image of Christ. And so, because God's doing that and because God loves to answer and because God's working, we can be persistent like this widow. We can cry out to God day and night. We, we can fervently be a praying people, a praying family, a praying church. We can be a people on our knees. Why? Because unlike the unjust judge who did it just because he had to, we've got a Heavenly Father that loves to answer the prayers of His children. He may make us wait, but He's doing it because He loves you. He hears you. He will bring justice. He will comfort you in your deepest need. He will bring an answer. So here's the point. Don't give up. Don't grow weary. Don't grow discouraged. Keep crying out. Keep crying out. And when you cry out, you will find in Jesus all you ever wanted, 
and all you ever needed because he loves you and he will answer you and he will give you good things in his timing for your good and for his glory and everything comes back to his glory so let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning in persistent prayer I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and would you just take a few moments this morning and I don't really know what you need to necessarily pray about there may be something in your life that you've been struggling with or some type of thing that you're praying for or maybe you just want to take this time just to to worship the Lord but just take advantage of this time you may not have this time again today it may get crazy once you leave this place spend just a few moments and if you even feel like you want to get on your knees this morning, you're, you're more than welcome to do that, of just praying, crying out, coming to the Lord in prayer, and asking Him, loving Him, praising Him, however you need to pray this morning. Just cry out to the Lord from the bottom of your heart, and we'll just spend a few moments in silent prayer, and then I'll lead us in a time of closing. But would you take advantage of this time to pray to the Lord? And heaven, thank you that you answer our prayers. You are just. You are good. And Jesus, here in this parable, you give us permission to be persistent, to cry out day and night, to pour our heart out before you, to cry with tears, to plead, to beg. And Father, there's those times where you don't answer us in the way that we would like for you to answer us, but we know that you're doing it for a purpose. You're deepening our dependence upon you. You're teaching us patience. You're you're reorienting our will to your will, and you're conforming us to the image of Christ, and you're doing it for our good and for your glory. And that's what we want, Lord. We want your glory. And you define what's good for us. We don't define what's good for us. You define it. So Lord, help us to be a praying people. Help us to not grow weary in our praying. Help us to not give up or become faint-hearted. Help us to have the, the knowledge to know that you are a good God and that when you don't answer, it's not because you don't care, it's because you're doing something greater than we could ever expect. Like the farmer that has to wait for the harvest, Lord, maybe you're making us wait because you have something better than we could ever imagine. So thank you for grace. Thank you for strength. Lord, I do pray particularly if there's anybody in this room today that's just been praying for something for a long period of time and you haven't answered. Would you help them not to get it discouraged? Would you lift them up? Would you encourage them? Would you let them know that, Lord Jesus, you, you do love them? Even if they cry out to you day and night, you love them and that you will give them an answer in your time. Lord, help us just to be more dependent upon you. Help us to leave this place with a greater dependence, not upon ourselves, but upon you. With a greater view of your glory and not our agenda. Lord, we don't want it to be about us, but we want it to be about you. And so, Lord, help us to just cry out to you day and night with prayers, with pleadings, with beggings. Help us to be like this persistent widow and know that you're good that you will not delay. You will answer speedily. You will answer most surely. You'll come to our aid. 
Thank you for being a good, good Heavenly Father. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen.